Hello, welcome to South London Voices, a Tiger Spirit podcast that celebrates people in South London and beyond. I'm your host, multimedia author and South Londoner, Yang Mei Ui. Today, I'm talking with novelist Anna Saban Lane about her thriller, Unlawful Things. Now, before we get into the podcast itself, um, if you want to see photos of Anna and me during the podcast session and also some lovely snaps of her uh, looking very authorly and pictures of her book, Unlawful Things, um, and there are also links to some of the things that we're going to be talking about, you can go to the show notes page. Um, And to do that, you need to go to southlondonvoices.co.uk and look for episode six, episode SLV00. Six unlawful things with Anna Saban Lane. So let's get stuck into the conversation with Anna Saban Lane. Anna Saban Lane, welcome to South London Voices. Thank you very much. Now, um, you are a long-term resident in South London. Um, actually, why don't you tell us what your connection is? Well, I'm pretty much South London born and bred. Um, my mother's family were all from South London. In fact, they, they ran a toy shop in Catford for about 100 years. Um, and my mother um, wanted to move back to South London when I was quite young, so about eight. And we moved back to the Bromley area. And I grew up there, went to school um, and uh, then went off to university uh, and came back and worked for my local newspaper when I, when I first left university. Gosh. So can you, do you have any memories of, um, you know, South London or, uh, you know, when you were, when you were a child? And it must have been amazing to have had family that owned a toy shop when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a fantastic shop. It was called uh, Swaddling Toys and Prams and uh, it was in Rushy Green in Catford. And I do remember going and visiting um, my grandpa when he ran the shop and we were allowed to choose one really small toy. So we would be able to choose a farm animal perhaps, or, um, or, a little bouncy ball or something um, to take home. Um, so that was that was all, all quite good fantastic, fun. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And, and is the toy shop still there? Sadly, no. Um, about fifteen years ago now, um, the, my my uncle retired and uh, they they sold it. Oh, that's a shame. Um, and so you were drawn back to come to, to South London um, as a as a cub reporter. That's right. Yes. Gosh, that must have been quite exciting. It was. Um, I was working on the New Shopper um, newspaper, uh, which certainly at that time uh, covered. Uh, pretty much most of, of South East London. Um, and the patch that I covered was uh, Lewisham Borough and Greenwich Borough, uh, which were quite lively places. Um, so that stretched from, uh, well, from sort of Broccoli area right round to um, Abbey Wood, Thamesmead, um, t- taking in, you know, all of the area in between. Um, and it, it was quite a lively uh, place to be reporting on. Um, people used to say, oh, you know, working on a local paper, is, is it all sort of church fates and and things and I'd say well um, so far I've reported on a couple of murders uh, some race riots Um, you know there was some very hard news going on at the time and it was it was an exciting uh, and you know sometimes quite scary job Yes, and that would have been in the 1980s. 1990s, 1990s. so early 1990s, early to mid-1990s. Um, and, yeah, I, I worked about five years on that, that paper, um, 
covering, I mean, really everything from, like I said, very hard news stories. Um, one of the earliest uh, news stories that I remember reporting on as a, as a, a young reporter was uh, the murder of Stephen Lawrence, which was, uh, you know, obviously a huge story at the time. And we, we didn't have any idea then that it would still be, you know, a pretty big story today and a, a story that's really changed an enormous amount about Britain. Yes, and it, it resonates still through the decades and I think casts a shadow um, mm. um, to, to us now today, even even now. Very much so, yes. Um, and it was certainly um, something that was kind of in my mind a little um, in some of the things that I wrote about in, in the novel. Mm. Um, you know, knowing that... Uh, there had been this very dark event, knowing that there had been these people who'd, you know, committed this terrible crime really out of racial hatred and nothing mm, else. Mm, mm. Yes, I think you know that's that's uh, quite a meaty subject that we don't have the the scope to cover uh, in this podcast. But I think you know, thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, South London and and you're you're, you're a novelist, um, and uh, we're going to be talking about your 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 novel, which has a dark uh, um, background to it, uh, unlawful things. Um, but just before we, we get in, in into that, I, I think I'd just like to exp- um, sh- kind of hear a bit more about what it, what it was like as a young woman um, in, in the 1990s uh, uh, reporting on crime and murder and so on mm. in, in South London. Mm. Um, you know, we hear about it in the news, we read it in books, we, we love murder mysteries and so on, And but when we read it in a book, it's, it's kind of... At, at a distance, yeah. Um, but you know, you were there uh, on the ground. Um, could you share some of your experience about that? Sure. I mean, one of the things that was probably most frightening, really, um, was um, this was in the aftermath um, of um, the Stephen Lawrence murder. Um, there were a number of um, demonstrations, um, and these were demonstrations, by and large, organised by. Um, anti-racist groups. Some of them got pretty ugly and and out of hand. Um, At the time, the the British National Party had its headquarters in Welling, um, and some of the marches went through Welling. Uh, There were clashes with uh, far-right supporters. There were times when um, those marches became quite violent, and I was caught up in one where I actually ended up in hospital, having had something, I'm not entirely sure what, hit me over the back of the head, and I was knocked out, um, and uh, sort of scraped up off the (laughs) tarmac and bundled into into an ambulance uh, with a lot of other people who'd been injured um, in that particular disturbance. Um, And that's certainly an experience that I draw on fairly directly in Unlawful Things, Mm. you know, the experience of actually having been been there whilst things are getting uh, getting uh, quite quite scary and I think that's something that yeah it doesn't really come across uh, when you think about reporters um, you, you're not only you're there on the ground now you're going to be there next week and the week after so you know if if you're getting on the wrong side of people they know where you are they know certainly know where you work um, you have to be very mindful of your relationship with the community when you're working on a local newspaper so you're reporting, but you're also part of the community and you need to have that courage and trust to get back on your feet and go back and do the reporting? Yes, I guess that's true. I mean, I certainly did find that a, a really scary experience. I, I was back at work, um, you know, the next day um, and, and wrote it up for the paper. Um, 
but it probably did stay with me a, a little bit um, and that might have been one of the reasons why I kind of chose to move away from sort of frontline uh, hard news reporting. Um, I, I worked uh, for a time as the arts and entertainments uh, reporter which was a fantastic job and I got to see absolutely loads of, of great plays at the Greenwich Theatre, at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley, Dartford Orchard Theatre. You know I was, I was going out once or twice every week to go and, and see things and review them for the paper and that, that was you know that was a re really good fun I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, so quite a contrast. And of, of course, tapping into your love of drama and stories. Yes, very much so, yeah. Which is a, a quite a useful segue into, <laughs> into your novel, Unlawful Things. Um, could you tell us uh, just what that's about initially? Sure. Um, so Unlawful Things is really about um, a quest for a missing play uh, by the Elizabethan playwright Christopher Marlowe, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare. Um, he came to a sticky end at the age of about twenty. At the age of twenty-nine, um, he was murdered in a what people say in a pub. It wasn't actually a pub, but it was in a boarding house in Deptford, which was literally just down the road from where I was living in Greenwich at the time. I was living sort of halfway between Greenwich and Deptford. And um, yeah, this this little church uh, where Marlowe is buried, um, his they don't know exactly where he was buried, but there's a plaque on the wall, and his his death's registered in in the parish register. Um, so. I suppose living in, in uh, that part of London and knowing a little bit about that kind of fed into it. So the story um, is that um, a, 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 a work walking tour guide, Helen Oddfellow, um, meets a historian who is looking for a missing play by Christopher Marlowe. And uh, she gets intrigued by um, the, these uh, trial documents that he's, he's found that have a, a reference to a possible missing play. So she um, is a, a big fan of Christopher Marlowe, she's actually doing um, a PhD on his work. So she teams up with him in order to try and find this missing play. And it starts off as a, very much a sort of an academic quest, you know, a, a sort of puzzle, and they're following clues and um, trying to decipher um, codes and, and this sort of thing. Um, but it becomes apparent fairly quickly that they're not the only people looking for this play and that there's something about this play. This play gives away some secret that is very important to certain people. And that, um, you know, some of the people who are also looking for the play um, will, will stop at nothing to get their hands on oh, it. Oh, so the plot thickens. The, the, the plot thickens. Um, uh, people, start to, people start to get hurt. Yes. So that is quite an interesting uh, and intriguing concept that you start off with something that's, um, you know, we all who are readers uh, and playgoers, you think, oh, yes, you know, missing play, how intriguing, quite quite an academic interest. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be quite nice to find out about it. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly it, mm -hmm. it throws you deeper into some murky secrets. That, that's right, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I, I had to think about, um, you know, what what type of secret might Christopher Marlowe have known that could actually have an impact on today's world? Um, and, you know, in a way, Marlowe's time was... It had a few echoes of today. Um, it was a, a time of great um, religious um, disquiet um, uh, and... Um, 
it, it was just post-Reformation. So Elizabeth was on the throne, but there were still plenty of Catholics around who were um, unhappy about what had happened during the Reformation. Uh, during the Reformation um, and uh, would very much like to have seen um, a Catholic monarch on the throne. Um, there was a lot of um, instability politically because um, Elizabeth uh, hadn't married, didn't have an heir. Uh, people were worried about what was going to happen next. Um, if you look forward to a couple of decades um, after Elizabeth, um, James I came to the throne and then we had the gunpowder plot um, where people were literally trying to blow up the House of Parliament and, and the King and, and courtiers um, in order to um, change the religion of the country. So it was a time when there was an awful lot of, um, of, of intrigue going on. Yes, so actually if you think about it, there was an Elizabeth on the throne then, there's yes. an Elizabeth on the throne now. We've got religious turmoil in, in both periods, um, slightly different uh, situations, yes. but, uh, but also we've got terrorism, you know, b b blowing up Houses of Parliament. Um, we can just think about what's been on on the news in the last couple of years. And so you're, it seems to me you're using uh, an old story, uh, a story set in the past, to perhaps explore things that are happening now? Yes, I think that's, that's, that's true. Um, I mean, it, partly it's just, it's a cracking story. <laughs> I really wanted to dig into all of the exciting things that were going on at the time um, and look at whether there, there might be parallels today. Um, but it's, it's more, you know, it, 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 gives the, it sets the scene for an adventure. Yes, and I think that's what sometimes makes a really good read because what you're, you know, you're, at one level you can read it as a page turner and you're kind of whizzing through it and it's a fantastic story. But sub subconsciously you're also taking in, you know, deeper things themes um, mm. and you're learning something about the past and I just that's why I think historical novels are great because mm. you're learning the, a bit of history without having to study the history book sure. um, mm. and uh, and then also you're 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 kind of prompted to think about bigger themes um, uh, in terms of um, you know different faiths different beliefs um, you know how how people uh, there's some rioting in, in your book there is well, yes. that's drawn on from yes. your own experience that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and so um, then uh, now, Christopher Marlowe, so we've talked about your connection with South London. Christopher mm -hmm. Marlowe um, uh, died in a, in, in a, in a, in a bar, bar room fight or some kind, something like that, in, mm -hmm. in Deptford in South London. Can you tell us more about his connection, his more general connection with South London? Yes, um, he was actually, he was born in, in Canterbury um, and uh, uh, then went to university at, at Cambridge um, and after that, he moved to London because he wanted to become a playwright um, and he was writing for the theatre. Um, he lived um, at different times in different parts of London, but one of his one of the strongest connections was to the Rose Playhouse in South London, which is on Bankside. You, you can actually still see the foundations of it. It's, it's underneath an office building, but you can now, uh, there's a, a, a trust that's kind of excavated and done some restoration so you you can actually go into this building you walk in through this door and it looks like you're just walking into an ordinary office block and you go through and suddenly you're in this archaeological site which is the foundations of the Rose Playhouse it's just along really really close to um, Shakespeare's Globe the, the rebuilt Shakespeare's Globe and it's pretty much spitting distance from the site of the original Globe Theatre, which I think is fascinating because you can see how close those two rival playhouses really were. Um, 
And uh, so Marlowe would have uh, was the, the chief playwright for a time for um, the Rose um, Playhouse, and his amazing plays, Doctor Faustus, Jew of Malta, um, The Massacre at Paris, were all put on um, there uh, uh, for the first time. Um, and something that I found really interesting um, was I was doing more research into this, and I, I live now sort of halfway between Dulwich and Crystal Palace. I found out that the best records that we have of the Rose Playhouse are actually held in Dulwich College, which is an interesting little story in itself, um, because one of the most famous actors at the time, Edward Alain, um, who would have acted in these plays, he would have played Dr Faustus for the first time, he retired to Dulwich, uh, founded Dulwich College, amongst other things, um, and all of his papers and the papers of his father-in-law, Philip Henslow, who was actually the owner of um, the Rose Playhouse, they're all in the archive at Dulwich College. Um, and they very kindly let me go along and sort of, you know, rifle through all these papers and, and look at all of these amazing records, uh, you know, dating back uh, to the, the, the 16th century um, to find out more about, um, about the, the theatre at the time and, and, you know, what it was like being an actor. I mean, it, this, this document has everything from, you know, what plays were put on on which days, how much money they took, loads of records about the building of the theatre, you know, how much they paid for the, 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 the nails that, made, <laughs> that that they built the theatre with. You know, it's an incredible it's resource. fascinating. Mm. And, and actually, I think Dulwich College um, is coming up to its 400th anniversary, founded in 1619. Um, on my way here, I walked past it and I saw the sign. And, and it just gives me goosebumps because at the Rose Playhouse they still put on plays. They do. And I went to see a play last year um, and um, they've got a little uh, sort of platform where yes. you, you can sit and you're just above the archaeological ruins. Um, it's absolutely freezing, there's no heating. Um, but uh, they have the archaeological ruins are still covered in water mm. uh, because when they uh, excavated it, um, in order, if, you, if they drain the water, it would um, uh, speed up the deterioration of, of, of the foundation. So they kept it underwater. Mm. And I think it's just so exciting and goosebumpy yes. that, you know, uh, the playhouse where Christopher Marlowe's plays were put on, you can still go and see plays there. Uh, absolutely. And I, I did go and see a play there. And in fact, that makes its way into the, into the novel as well. There is a scene where Helen um, goes and watches a play there um, and feels exactly that, you know, sort of imagines the ghost of Christopher Marlowe kind of floating in to sit next to her to watch the play. And, and, uh, and as a result of watching the play, she she, she then gets a kind of an insight and a sort of revelation about um, one of the clues, one of the things they've been working on. She suddenly realises something and that kind of takes them on to the next stage of the, of the plot. So now I'm going to just pause us and give us a little bit of a flashback um, because the, your in, what inspired you to, to write this play is also quite interesting. Can you tell us, uh, this, this, this novel, can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, this was quite a long time ago. Um, I am interested in literature, obviously, and London and, and history. And one year I just decided really for, for fun, just for no particular reason, it would be interesting to retrace the walk that Chaucer's Pilgrims did from Southwark um, to Canterbury. Um, so I set off with my husband on uh, one Easter weekend and we started at Southwark Cathedral, or just around the corner from Southwark Cathedral, where the Tabard Inn used to stand, which is where Chaucer's Pilgrims uh, began their journey. 
and we walked, the first day we walked to um, all the way through South London, um, past um, the church where Marlow is buried, which was um, sort of, I noticed and thought, oh, that's, that's uh, Can you remember an the name of that point. church? It's St Nicholas Church, um, St Nicholas Church on Deptford Green. And you can you see it, it you, you know it when you see it, because it has gateposts with the most amazing ghoulish-looking skull and crossbones on top of the gateposts, which is actually what made me go in and, and, uh, and have a look and realise, you know, see the, the plaque about Marlowe and realise that that's where, um, where he was buried. Um, so we walked all through there and then through Greenwich, um, up through Greenwich Park, across Blackheath, Shooters Hill, all the way out through South East London, heading east um, and uh, as far as Dartford on the first day. Stayed in Dartford because that's where uh, my husband's mother lives, so we had a, a bed for the night. <laughs> and then carried on the ne- over the next two days um, to, to Canterbury and arrived in Canterbury. And I'd been thinking about, we'd been telling each other stories along the way, you know, as, as Chaucer's pilgrims did, as travellers do, just to pass the time. And we were making up stories and jokes and all sorts of things. Um, and when we arrived in Canterbury, we were right opposite the Marlowe Theatre. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and that was when I discovered that Marlowe was born in Canterbury and, lived, and uh, grew up in, in Canterbury. And that kind of set me thinking again, well... Okay, so if Marlowe grew up in Canterbury, um, you know, what, what secrets did he learn in Canterbury, perhaps that uh, that might have found their way into the, into um, some kind of you know secret that uh, that he used in the future? Was that why he was really murdered? All these sort of ideas. Um, so yeah, it kind of sparked the, the the idea for what eventually became the novel on unlawful things. Wow, fantastic! And so. Um, as a novelist, you know, you can have, and, and, and all of us, you know, we, we wander along and say, oh, that would make a good story. Oh, that's so interesting. How do you then put it all together? How did you come up with the <laughs> devious, ghoulish plot um, that, you know, would cover, is it 300, 400 pages of, of a novel? Yeah, 420 pages. Um, oh, goodness knows. Um, I wrote an awful lot of drafts. <laughs> and I think that's the main thing. I researched an enormous amount. I learned a huge amount about Christopher Marlowe. Um, about all sorts of things that didn't make it into the novel. I I read about four biographies of Charles Dickens thinking he was going to come into it and then eventually ditched him because it was too complicated. Um, I learnt about um, theatre at the time. I I learnt about all of the... A lot of different locations, and locations are really important to me, um, and, you know, getting a a good sense of place. Um, How did I bring it all together? I mean, I really... It's really hard to kind of remember that other than by thinking I I rewrote that so many times because you write the first draft, it's not quite happening. Um, You try again, you try something different. You keep trying something different. And eventually I got to the point where I thought, no, I I think that's that's probably done now. So then to come up with the sort of um, the the mystery of of what it is that what the secret is, um, did that occur to you? Did you dig around? Did you? How did you? Without giving any spoilers, <laughs> are you able to say again? It's, it's such an insight into how a writer's mind yeah. works. Um, there's something that um, there's the MacGuffin. You've got to find your MacGuffin. Um, what's the name of the the uh, filmmaker who who says that? Um, oh gosh, it's gone. Um, it, 
you need a sort of plot device. So what I was thinking was, okay, I want a, a, a secret that might have been known to a writer who, who li lived both in Canterbury and London that was important at the time, that might still be important today, that he might have learnt growing up in Canterbury. So I then started to think, okay, so what was going on in Canterbury when he was a boy? What had been happening in Canterbury in the previous, you know, within living memory of, of him uh, being a boy in Canterbury? And the big thing really was the Reformation. So, you know, the effect that the Reformation had on Canterbury was quite extraordinary, um, as, as on towns across the country. But of course, Canterbury was the seat of the Church of England. So I thought, okay, it's got to be something about that. And I'm not going to go much <laughs> you have to read the book to find out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think that's really interesting because I think I, I'm kind of putting it in my head. You know, what would be an equivalent situation here? It would be like a filmmaker or a, or a, a TV um, a writer or a playwright in modern times discovering a secret maybe from, you know, the Cold War or, or, or mm. from, from uh, the Second World War or something that has, you know, global or international consequences if it was revealed and they wrote a play about it and then people had wanted to stop them. Yes, so it's, it'd be harder today. <laughs> They'd just put it up on YouTube or something. <laughs> yes, but I mean, those days, it was, you know, we hadn't, didn't have those things and it was, exactly. it was the, the physical manuscript yes. that went missing. And so, ooh, very intriguing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a lot of it was about looking for the right locations. So I was then thinking, I need somewhere between London and Canterbury. Um, I want it to be um, a kind of um, a, a stately home or something like that that would have been around at the time as well, you know, that was um, dates from Elizabethan times. So I started thinking about, you know, what places might fit that. And then I went and visited um, a place called Cobham Hall, which is actually a school now, but at the t back in the 16th century, it was um, an Elizabethan um, stately home manor house. Um, and did some research on that and found the most amazing things happened during the history of that place and incorporated as much as I possibly could into the novel uh, whilst at the same time uh, completely making free with history and inserting my own facts where, where necessary. <laughs> so so what you've done um, for, for the reader is actually we don't have to go off and do all this research. You've done it for us and it's all wrapped up in this page-turning thriller that's going to whiz along and, uh, uh, and, and keep us intrigued. Um, now, Unlawful Things is coming out when? It's the 25th of October. And um, if people want to find out more about it? Um, at the moment, because it's not published yet, it will be published um, on Amazon, or through, through Amazon rather, um, but if you want to know more about it at the moment, best place to look is my website, which is www.annasaburnlane.com. And you have a special gift for people who come to your website. What's that? Yes, well, if you sign up to my newsletter, um, then uh, you get a... Uh, well, first of all, you can see... Uh, you can read a couple of um, the first chaps, first couple of chapters of the book. So, um, you know, try before you buy. See, see if you, you, you're intrigued by the opening of the novel. Uh, but I also um, asked an artist friend to draw up um, a little map, 
which um, is of uh, Bankside in South London, and it shows some of the key historical locations in Bankside, which are mentioned in the novel. Um, as I think I mentioned at the beginning, my, my hero, um, H uh, Helen, is a walking tour guide, and towards the beginning of the novel, she actually does, you know, we see her giving a, a guided tour, which is where she meets a, this historian. So I've kind of recreated that little tour. So you could download this map, print it off, take yourself up to London Bridge and, and do your uh, self-guided tour um, as, as Helen would have done it, you know, and it's got all of the information about the places that she takes them. Wow, that is fantastic. And what a, what a, what a wonderful gift to, to, to your readers. Anna Saban Lane, thank you very much uh, for, for sharing your story and, and for telling us about your book. Um, and uh, we will, uh, I will have um, links and also photos to some of the things that Anna and I have been talking about uh, on, on the show page. Uh, details coming up very soon. Our South London voice today was Anna Saburn Lane and her website again um, to go and check out uh, all her news and events and also to get that freebie map is annasaburnlane.com and you can also find her on Twitter as at Bloomsbury Blue. To find photos and links to some of the things we talked about today, go to southlondonvoices.co.uk and search for episode 6, episode SLV006, Unlawful Things with Anna Saban Lane. Or you can use the bit.ly short link, and uh, here's the link now, bit.ly forward slash SLV hyphen unlawful things. The South London Voices podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. I'm Yang Mei Ui, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at tigerspirituk. You can also follow South London Voices on Twitter, and the Twitter handle for South London Voices is at South London Vox. That's V-O-X at South London V-O-X. And we're also on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash South London Voices. Thanks for listening and see you next time.